You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to The Worship Review podcast. This is a podcast by a couple of folks who have spent a lot of time in the church. Uh, I am Colin, and I am a history professor at a large Midwestern university. I also led worship in evangelical churches for um, about 15 years or so, and I'm joined by my friend Tyler. I'm Tyler. I am a PhD student at the same institution, and I study the linguistic structures of Germanic languages. I led worship or was on a worship team in the Midwest uh, for eight years, roughly, and I'm looking forward to examining critically the songs that we sing uh, to and about God. Tyler, before we get started analyzing today's song, we should spend some time on this inaugural episode explaining why we think a podcast like this is useful and maybe why even we ourselves are interested in doing it. I think we have something to offer the Christian music sphere that is not being offered right now, and that is critical objective feedback about what is being put in the mouths of churches and churchgoers. Um, We're both people who did this as worship leaders. We have significant experience sifting through songs, engaging with our fellow church members about the songs. Other than just filling a need, I think it also fits a desire that I have and I think that you also have, Colin, to see God praised clearly and accurately and truthfully. It it breaks my heart to see people say untruths or half-truths about God in church of all places. I often got approached by people in the congregation who were very enthusiastic about the way a worship song personally affected them but maybe were less able to discern whether a worship song was good for the congregation. And it was always a challenge to explain that to somebody, because I wanted to encourage them to bring me those songs. But it would have been nice to have a resource where I could say, hey, this song was actually looked at by these people. That way it felt less arbitrary. This isn't a preference issue or a taste issue. Our system isn't necessarily a foolproof one. I'm not trying to say that we have the perfect way of judging a song for its value in congregational worship, but we have put in a few safeguards to protect us from subjectivity, such as not necessarily listening to a song until we've read its text through. And that helps protect us from some of the arbitrary aesthetic judgments that people might make. As outsiders who have a different career, um, we have, in some ways, a more objective perspective yeah. on this. And a career which has which has the sort of transferable skills which help to evaluate and research and critically analyze sources, which is what these songs are. Mm-hmm. And to weigh a text and its ideas. Yeah. Uh, abstractly. I think we also may serve the church in 
offering worship leaders the uh, the ability to point to us as the bad guys. Yeah, sure. So if they have members of their congregation who listen to Christian radio and hear this all the time, and they don't want to have to go through the process of defending why they don't sing these songs, we could also be the good guys too. And mm-hmm. if there's a song that really has value as a congregational worship song and fits with what scripture has to say about God, uh, we hope to be a resource to promote that song as well. So what we're going to do in each episode, we're going to take a contemporary Christian song, at least that's the goal for this first series, uh, and we're going to pick it apart in a, in a fair-minded and helpful way. Uh, and we're going to start out with a song which is quite popular. It's It's been consistently on the CCLI top 10 for several years now. It's called What a Beautiful Name by Hillsong. We have kind of a standard set of questions. So we're asking who, what is the song about, and we'll expand on that a little bit and get into it. Then there's a second uh, question that we're asking, which is uh, about action. What is actually happening in the song? What is going on? Who's the person that's doing something or the thing that's doing something? Uh, Is there somebody or something that is having something being done to them? Some of you will think that that sounds Uh, maybe even boring, but that actually reveals a lot about what's going on in the song. So, and that's also a question that we can ask of any song. So these categories are quite broad, but as you'll see, I think with this song, it will reveal some really interesting details. And then lastly, we want to think about clarity. Is the song internally consistent and coherent and clear. For example, a lot of Christian music, a lot of contemporary Christian music and worship music makes use of metaphor. Scripture makes use of metaphor. Uh, and and there are helpful ways to do that, ways that clarify. And there's also there are also uses of metaphor and stylistic language that can actually make things more difficult to understand. And it's almost always water-related in some way or, <laughs> or <another>. fire-related, <laughs> right? Well, yes. And after going through those three categories and talking about the song, um, we're going to give some conclusions. And I think the main question that we're trying to answer is not so much, do we like the song? It's really, is this song appropriate and helpful and useful in a congregational setting? Should this song be sung in church? I guess we could have comments about whether we'd like listen to this song in our car or something, but really what we're getting at is, should this is this really a song that God's people can use as the basis of worshiping Him? And we'll give it a score, one out of five, uh, one out of five something. <laughs> we'll find out what that's going to be. We haven't told each other what our one out of five is, um, but yeah, so I think that's fairly straightforward. Anything you want to add, Tyler, that I've missed? No, that sounds very succinct. We want to dissect it in an objective way and provide recommendations primarily for the church and for worship leaders in the church uh, on how and if they should be singing these songs with their congregations. Okay, so let's get started then with What a Beautiful Name. Tyler, what is this song about? This song is highly doxological. It is meant to praise 
God, in particular God the Son, um, giving him glory and tracing his majesty throughout the eons, um, starting at the beginning of time and um, climaxing at um, his salvific work on the cross. Okay. Where are you seeing God in this song in particular? Like, Just to begin with verse 1, um, you were the word at the beginning, um, one with God, the Lord Most High. So God is named explicitly here, and he's also given one of his specific names, the Lord Most High. The you is not named explicitly here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to wait until the chorus to find out what that name is. But we're speaking in the second person, we're addressing a you. Um, and some songs, they don't always tell you who the you is. No, no, it's it's yeah, speaking to the universe, essentially. <laughs> yeah. um, and in the chorus, we finally find out what that beautiful name is. That is the name of Jesus Christ, my King. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's this nice reference at the beginning. Although I will say you were the word at the beginning. I think, you know, you got the reference there to, to John 1. This isn't one of those songs where you're left to wonder too long about who, who is being addressed. Right. I guess the other subject that I see here, which you, which you also addressed, is the name of God. So this is another, uh, not, not the name of God, the name of Jesus. Um, and we're told in the song that the name is beautiful, wonderful, and powerful. Those are helpful adjectives, but what, does, what do those adjectives mean? mean exactly? Why is the name of Jesus those things? Hmm. That's a good question. And it's not a question that we necessarily get answers to in context right. in this song. Right. Um, his name is beautiful, but that's not necessarily explicitly um, explained yeah. clearly. And we do see, so in a, in a few Psalms, for example, we do see the uh, notion of praising God. God's name. Like that is some that like actually praising the name of God is something we do see in scripture. I will say in 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 an ancient near eastern culture, um your name was your reputation. It was what you have done as well. And so often when God's name is praised, when we see in the Psalms praise your name, there's also some discussion of what God's name means, like what he did. Uh, and 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 what his reputation is. Uh, again, there's a little bit of that in this song, but I don't think it's to the same extent and with the same clarity that we see uh, in the Psalms or where we see mm-hmm. this actually oh, happening in Scripture. Definitely not as clear as we would find in the Old Testament. Um, but we do have some actions being yes, taken here. Let's talk about those. So if we take a look at the bridge, we can see um, some of the things that Christ is being praised for. Um, The veil in the temple is torn. Death cannot hold him down. Um, Christ silences graves boast and sins boast. And in his resurrection, spites them. And so now and forever, he is reigning over us. Uh, And we also see, you know, echoes from the Lord's Prayer here at the end. And so these are some of the actions that we can see being taken 
in this song. Yeah, and they're mostly by God. Yes. God's doing the action here. God is the active person. This song does have some nice, clear uh, verbs that, that, that God is doing. Although there are some other ones, I think, that are more problematic. We haven't talked about this ahead of time, but I have to think that we both have to wonder about... Verse uh, 2. Verse 2, yeah. which uh, has been... Uh, which has generated... Cont- We're not the first people to notice this. He didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. What could say? Verse 2 says, you, and and you is Christ, you didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? Uh, So this idea of Jesus not wanting heaven without us, I don't want to make, I don't want to start off by saying what the words don't say. The words say, Mm -hmm. you didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. John MacArthur pointed this out. Uh, he, I think he was the first one to, to jump on this song in, 20, in late 2016. So he, uh, his blog, um, which is called Grace to You, uh, there was a blog post on this blog which was criticizing some kind of contemporary worship lyrics. Uh, and John MacArthur's folks do not stray from controversy. I think that's one admirable thing about about MacArthur. Like he did this strange fire conference. I don't know if you knew about this, where he, you know, they went after some of the people even kind of within the, like the kind of the gospel coalition umbrella. And, and often there's kind of been a, a ceasefire amongst those people. But John MacArthur was sort of willing to um, question some of the more charismatic of those. Anyway, the point is, uh, in this blog, um, one of the songs that is picked apart is this song. Um, and uh, the blog is quite explicit. So, you know, uh, this, the second verse of this song is a great example, and I'm quoting from the blog, of the doctrinal maladies that plague most of the Hillsong catalog, malpractice, man-centeredness, and missing information. So these are very strong, strong words. Um, and so, so John MacArthur's blog criticizes this. Uh, John Piper talked about it in his Ask Pastor John blog. There was then a defense of the song by a pastor named J.D. Greer, who pastors a, a large, I think, Southern Baptist church in North Carolina. And even Hillsong themselves, as there were continuing discussions about the song, eventually decided to have somebody in their marketing apparatus. Somebody in their enterprise decided to respond as well and and give a... Theological explanation for the lyrics, is yeah, that the give, one? Yeah, give sort of a, a defense. Uh, so anyway, uh, what were your thoughts on that line, Tyler? So not having been aware of the controversy, the, the large controversy surrounding it generally... Um, this line struck me as odd and dangerous, um, to be honest with you. That I take issue with the notion that God sent Christ into the world for any reason other than love for the world and a desire to see humanity glorify himself. 
though the second verse opens in a charming manner, um, it actually represents what I would call an affront on two counts. It implies a deficit in heaven, which the presence of men and women is supposed to fill. Um, and second, we know from many verses, but in particular John 3.16, that it was out of love for the world, not out of a desire to improve heaven that mm-hmm. God sent Christ into the world. Yeah, it's really hard to get around the idea, that that phrase, you didn't want heaven without us, as though somehow there was some lacking in the Godhead, in heaven, and that there's just, I just don't see a way around that. I don't think, I don't think you can explain that away. And uh, so Hillsong, again, after some of these comments were made, Hillsong uh, put on their blog just an explanation of the song. And I admit I don't follow Hillsong enough to know whether this is a regular thing, whether they kind of regularly explain their songs or whether this was in response to some of the criticisms. But I can't help but notice in the explanation of the song, the the vast majority of the thrust of this blog post is towards explaining that uh, that second verse. So while God is, and I'm quoting from their blog, while God is all-sufficient, all-powerful, and all-knowing, the God of creation and of eternity, he's also God whose love surpasses all knowledge. We wanted to describe the love of God who, though in need of nothing, so loved the world that he chose. So they're referencing John 3.16 there. Oh, there is nothing in the scriptures to indicate that God has ever been lonely, but the scriptures do demonstrate a loving God who actively desires reconciliation with humanity. It's certainly not that God needed us, but as the lyric hopefully describes, God didn't want to leave us out of his eternal plan for salvation. Uh, And then it kind of goes on. And to me, this is a kind of... uh, sidestepping the controversy. Yes, so, and it always is. When you when you take issue with someone's words and they say, well, what I was trying to get at is this issue. That may be very well true, but your words were this, so let's address the words. Yeah. And at the very least, and again, I don't know why it's so hard for people to just apologize or just say, you know what, this wasn't clear. Like, here's what I meant to say. I didn't say it clearly. We shouldn't have done that. Like, I don't know why they can't do that. So instead, what they what what is being done here is Hillsong is saying, don't look at the thing that's obviously erroneous. Look at what our intention was. Look over here at the fact that you know God is very loving. And you can see that in this in this line here. There's nothing in scripture to indicate that God has ever been lonely, but the scriptures do demonstrate a loving God who actively desires reconciliation with humanity. It's like, okay, yes, that, that's true. But let's talk about the untrue thing that you said. And the conjunction doesn't really fit there at all. There is nothing in Scripture to indicate that God is lonely. Period. Yes. End, end of <laughs> sentence. That's right. I so, also found, I find the ending of that um, paragraph kind of interesting as well, because it's, I think, to give them full credit, they are, you know, responding, presumably, to criticism, but they're not doing it in a clear way. And even the last sentence of that, when I stop to think of the grace and love of holy God, I am filled with wonder. Beautiful. Amen. That is not a response to anything. That that That's just like throwing a, you know, glitter in the corner and saying, look over there. Don't look at what I've just said or didn't just say. Well, it's Hillsong, so they're not throwing glitter. They're turning on the fog machine. <laughs> Very right? well. So, or, lasers over there. Yes, laser lights. Uh, so, and... 
yeah, not to be not to be too cheeky, but uh, and you know we will review other Hill songs uh, songs on here, and and we are we I don't think we're people who are who are against uh, intrinsically against Hill song, but in this case they made an error, yeah. and they do need to acknowledge it, yeah. uh, and instead they've uh, they've just kind of sidestepped it. We should also talk about the song's clarity, uh, the sense to which it's sort of consistent and and coherent. Yeah, um, it, it opens at the beginning and it closes presumably at at now or the end. Um, and there are specific moments in scripture and in um, Christian history that are named here. Um, but I wouldn't give it marks for clarity, to be honest with really? you. Okay. I, I wouldn't. Um, even though these things are sometimes quite specific and sometimes direct references to Scripture, um, if you look at the song as a whole, the parts that end up being repeated are not verse 1. Uh, it's not chorus 1. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's the bridge, uh, mm-hmm. which is repeated several times. Um and it's chorus three. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name. The name of mm-hmm. Jesus. And so, yes, as as a as a whole, it can you can trace elements of clarity in this. But overall, what we end up repeating are these very general statements that, in context, don't make a lot of sense. Um, other than Christ has overcome the grave and we praise him. And that clearly is a symbol of power. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's a lot that's missing here in my mind. I would say there are clear moments, but the song overall is not a clear song. That's yeah. what I would say. Okay. That erroneous line uh, really sinks the song. Hmm. And I'm just not... So I've been in uh, a congregation which sung this song, and it was the first time I had heard this song. And we're singing it, and and we got to that second verse, and I just the first time I heard it, I, I kind of I sung it, and then I was like, "Ooh, what did I just? Yeah. What did I just sing? Did I just speak a heresy? Yeah, oh my God. and uh, and this song kept uh, being you know, was played a few times, like in the next kind of couple months at this church. And I just found it wrecked the whole song for me. Like once they started singing the song, even though what was being sung at the beginning was true, I was just, just knowing what was coming. It would just be too challenging for me to kind of, and maybe that's my own fault. Like maybe I, sh- I should, in fact, I, I think I should. Uh, and Piper talked about this in his own criticism of this song. He said, like you should be able to sing the good parts of a song, and if there's something erroneous in it, you should be able to let it kind of pass you by or 
you know, sing something different. I had a friend uh, and who... Eat the moldy parts of the pizza with the good parts right. of the pizza. Right. I had a friend who would... I, I mean, he, occasionally he would sit by me or he'd sit behind me and I'd hear him actually singing different words just kind of quietly during some songs, which at the time we were both at a church, which occasionally had erroneous stuff in his music. So maybe I should do that. But I, I just can't help but think that for congregational worship, I just think this that line and maybe the vagueness as well just kind of sinks this song's ability to be useful. I don't know what you think, Tyler. Yeah, I would say that is a serious stumbling block to anyone looking to sing this song congregationally. And you have to ask yourself if you're a, if a worship leader or a, maybe a music pastor or something like that, do you really want to be putting stumbling blocks in front of your congregation when there are dozens of wonderful songs that you could be singing that don't have these issues. Yeah, uh, and I think you you uh, vastly underestimate the catalog of available songs. There may be more than dozens. There are there are That's true. There, there are, are many many hundreds, many yes, if not thousands. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the church has been writing music for a long time. Not Just learn you... Latin, there's even more. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh the point is why why give your congregation a song like this when uh when there's just better stuff to offer them. As you said, there are some scriptural truths to this song, um, like the reference to Philippians 2. Um, God exalted him, Christ, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is beautiful. And that is a much better way yes. to praise the name of Jesus than in vague platitudes. It's amazing. And actually, I hope that this happens in this podcast. It's amazing when you read the scripture that some of these songs allude to. And the scripture is the thing that just actually just makes your heart pound, you know? And I get that a lot of contemporary Christian music is meant to have kind of an emotional component. And I'm not saying that's that can be healthy and unhealthy, but but truths about God do resonate with our heart. And they're meant to do that. And so, but if the song is presenting scripture or the gospel or the attributes of God in an inferior way, and really the thing that is making your heart sing is the pounding drum or the guitar solo or whatever, then, man, just put scripture in your service. I don't know. Just like, <laughs> again, again, this is not an argument for the psalmody thing, but like, just sing the scripture. Um, I would say also, if we look at the catalog of Hillsong as a whole, mm-hmm. we, we can talk a little bit more about the, um, yes. the way in which we did this, but um, we counted all of the words in all of the Hillsong songs. <laughs> well, we didn't do this. We had a, we had a computer to do this for yes, us. We, yes. we also have lives. We, but... <laughs> we, we, we spent four weeks in front of the, <laughs> counting it. No. Yeah. And um, this song is remarkably similar to much of the other Hillsong catalog. And that may sound unsurprising because it's one of their songs, but here, here's one of the benchmarks we used. Um, of the top 10 words used in Hillsong's work that weren't function words like the, of, a, and, yeah. um, this song ha- contains seven of those 10 words. And so wow. we'll, we'll look 
uh, in another episode at another Hillsong song that only hits three of those words. Okay. So it's very big. Um, those top ten words in Hillsong were love, Lord, God, Jesus, praise, life, no heart, glory, and holy. Um, and this song has contains seven of those. Mm-hmm. And those are good words. They're great, yeah. And also no is the K-N-O-W. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're beautiful words and... Clearly, what a beautiful word! What beautiful words those are! <laughs> what a beautiful they're powerful word words. it is! <laughs> and in general, they're found throughout um, many music corpora. We've we've yeah, not we just done this others. for Hillsong, but we've done this for others. Um, it's interesting. There are some of these words are unique to certain uh, artists and groups. So, power it is in the top twenty-five for Hillsong. It's also in the top twenty-five for Chris Tomlin, but not for the Psalms. Not for the Trinity hymnal, uh, not for indelible grace music. Um, so that's interesting to note. Also, heaven is uh, in the top 25, is not found in any of the other corpora except okay. for the Trinity hymnal. Okay. So interesting things to note. You can see maybe trends there. Would you say we should sing this song in uh, congregational worship? No, the answer is no. Can you, uh, uh, I said we'd give a one to five score. Can you explain maybe what that is or... Yeah, I'd be happy to. So the one to five scoring system operates on these um, criteria. Five, a score of five means that you have no reservations whatsoever about singing this song congregationally or endorsing it to be sung congregationally. A score of four means you have some minor reservations about singing this congregationally. A score of three uh, means that you have some major and some minor reservations, but the good elements outweigh those bad elements. A score of two means you have some major and some minor reservations, but the good elements do not outweigh them. And a score of one, the song contains mostly problematic elements or elements so troubling that this is not to be sung in congregational worship. Uh, and so for that, maybe I should uh, should give my, my rating. So I gave this uh, a two out of five empty Foster's beer cans. <laughs> So using the criteria of Foster's beer cans, there's this only gets two of them. <laughs> Very good. What, what um, did you rate it, Tyler? I give it uh, two jaws of Vegemite. <laughs> and just a reminder, two means there are some major reservations and some minor about singing this congregationally, and the good elements in the song do not outweigh them. All right. So after discussion, we have an agreement in the number that we give the song, although... Uh, Cans of Vegemite versus Foster. But both of us obviously were in the in the realm of food and gastronomy. Yeah. Oh yeah, obviously astronomy. Yeah. What am I saying? Gastronomy in Australia. Although, you know. There's some astronomical yeah, no. elements here too. <laughs> it does work. Uh, well, thank you so much for catching this first episode of the Worship Review. See you next time. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.